You're listening to the Star Wars Report, episode number 219. This week's episode is brought to you by the good folks supporting us over on Patreon.com slash Star Wars Report. Welcome, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, aliens all around the galaxy. You are listening to the Star Wars Report. That's right. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Herleman, and with me today is not Riley, the awesome champion of all Bothan epicness that we know and love, the main voice that you hear over here on the flagship episode podcast. It's going to be Nathan P. Butler, my fellow co-host of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Hey, Nathan, welcome back to the show. Hey, good to be here, although I gotta say... Got a little confused with all this shuffling around, man. Beyond the Films, Cloud City Casino, Rebels Roundtable, now the flagship. I'm I'm kind of getting a little whiplash here. I'm supposed to be clean here, right? <laughs> this is the one where I'm not supposed to cuss a lot? Yes, yes, <laughs> this is the family-friendly one. Uh, man, now, I got to tell you, I, I'm a little nervous because I just got my butt handed to me over this weekend. Uh, I went up to the lava beds with my troop for their first time. Uh, and I took friends that are in another troop that were in my pack when we were Cub Scouts uh, because we went into the hardest cave, did a night cave, in the Catacombs Cave at the Lava Beds National Monument. And now, Nate, I, I, you've probably followed my Facebook page and seen some of this. Uh, you may have not. But uh, if you haven't seen my Facebook page, you can find me. I'm Mark Erlman on Facebook. Uh, Logical Rogue 2. You can probably find me through that, too. But... I, I post all the, the links of these pictures because I drag a, a really nice camera through the caves with me like a complete idiot to, you know, chronicle it all. Uh, but so we go through this. We go in around, oh, I'd say about six. Uh, you know, we're in there almost four hours, 15 people. And there are crawl spaces that are 12 inches or less. And I'm claustrophobic, right? So I'm having a hard time here. But Brian has brought Sarah, another one of our leaders, in. And she's been claustrophobic and has slowly, in the course of, of four different trips to the lava beds, made it to the end. And now the, the rallying cry was, Mark, if I can make it, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. And I, oh, man. So my voice is all ragged because I, I seriously had to fight through some serious phobias. Because when I went to crawl through that first 12-inch space, I watched the ceiling and the floor slowly collapse before my eyes. And I freaked the frack out, man. I tell you, I, I turned to him. I'm looking at him because he had a GoPro. And he stopped. He's like, I stopped the camera, man. You don't have to worry. Because I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I got to back up. I can't do it. I didn't see him go through. So when I got there, all I saw was that space. And I'm just thinking, he told me before, you know, that, that you touch your back and your stomach as you crawl through some of these spots. And I'm thinking, if I get stuck, I'm going to completely freak out. And these kids are going to see a 37-year-old man crying like a little girl. <laughs> you know, I don't want this to happen. So I'm like, I, I got to let Sarah go first. So she's going through and I'm watching the direction she's going and her butt gets stuck. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know, I started to like complete panic. And then she squeezes through and I'm like, okay, all right, okay. She's a little bit rounder than me in the, in the back. So maybe, maybe, maybe I'll go. So I had to take my helmet off, you know, like these are some jagged rocks and stuff. So I'm sticking my helmet through and I am towing through this thing. And it was the tightest sensation of my life. And I am trying not at all to think about the fact that all 
it takes is one good earthquake and a shift of a rock and we're not ever coming out of this cave alive because there are very few once you get down three or four of these side passages with a few of these crawls there's no coming back you have to go back the way you came and we had to do this three three or four different times and then on our way back we hit this thing called the crossover which is a six foot drop and i am tall enough that you can't turn around and drop feet first you have to go down head first oh man Uh, needless to say i am bruised beaten and battered right now and my voice is thrashed from all the swearing I was doing in all the tight places. Uh, but besides that, I, I'm here. I'm, I'm trying to fill in. We're trying to keep the episodes going and rolling for all you Bothans out there. Uh, we got Nathan on. We got some fun stories here that Riley's picked out. He was really hoping to be here, but he's been swamped with the college work. He's got all that ROTC training and stuff. You guys know the drill. We also thank you very much once again for supporting us on Patreon, making the show, making it happen. And it's also why I'm filling in today because we made a promise we would not miss a week, and here we are. So that said, Nate, anything uh, new and exciting from you before we move into the first story? Well, uh, I'm sure some of it can come up in the uh, uh, the bounty segment later as far as Star Wars stuff goes, but uh, I think you've got me beat on the fear, but we certainly had a high anxiety level and a bit of a, a fear here within the last, oh, 24 hours or so, because uh, we officially, as of about three hours before we're recording this, have assigned the papers on our first house. So I know you've gone through this uh, in the past, and I know it was sort of a, it seemed like it was a a nightmare in multiple parts, all the different things having to be done. But so far, fairly straightforward. We actually found a a house on on first viewing. That Houses around here, just if they're within our price range, and they're not in the middle of an area where you need to be afraid you're going to get shot, because we are talking about like South Metro Atlanta, um... They they just disappear off the market within like a week, if that. Uh, and we got a place that had been on the market for maybe two days last week. And then this morning got the first chance to visit it of the day, went through it. We had agreed beforehand, you know, if this looks like it's meeting all the things we want, we say yes now and have the inspection process go because you can back out within about 10 days uh, if the inspection goes bad or something. Um, but we need to lock this thing down quickly if we really want it so it doesn't disappear. And sure enough, we're able to pull it off. But it's going to be interesting. I'm going to have my own little office and not sure if there's going to be a Star Wars room yet. The, mm-hmm. star- the idea was going to be a Star Wars room that was like a doubling as an office. But given the massive size of the master bedroom, our bedroom walls may be lined with Star Wars bookshelves and stuff. Either way, you'll be able to tell walking in there, that's the butler home. Nice. Nice. Yeah, definitely some fear to go along with that, though. That is a whew. I didn't realize how how much anticipation and anxiety comes with that sort of uh, purchase. I always figured it was a much more smooth process, and it was pretty smooth, except the bumpy things happening in my chest going. Yeah, all the hoops set before you. Oh, gotta love it. Uh, all right, so our first uh, little story that we got here—it's not uh, really in. Well, you know what? It is. So let's just go right into the news. We have something to report. The closer I have the news. Data brought to us by the Botham spies. You can send a clear transmission. There it is. Listen, listen. Okay, so our first story that Riley has for us, he's our little intrepid Bothan reporter this week and had a bunch of stories lined up, so I had no idea going into it. I just saw a few of this, uh, you know, maybe about two hours ago. This is the funniest moments from the J.J. Abram and Chris Rock's Tribeca Talks, uh, the director series of 2016. The link will be provided in our show notes, but warning, uh, there is some colorful language in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had uh, no idea JJ dropped that many f bombs. I was blown away too. Yeah, I uh, I got some clips here. I've edited out because I will not be playing this live for that same reason. Uh, one of them is a clip that 
I had to edit because of, yeah, the F-bomb. And I was actually kind of surprised with how candid it was. Like, I swear a lot, but I'm also in scouts, so there are times and places. And I was kind of surprised seeing them all in their suits and ties dropping F-bombs. It just seemed really weird. You know, I'm thinking he has a question that he gets asked about what's up with the lens flares. And he talks about how he went overboard with them and then sort of rolled it back and how the VFX team for The Force Awakens started adding contrails to everything as if that was the new lens flare. Um, (laughs) But I'm wondering if the new thing that he's really focused on, like lens flares, is simply the F-bomb. I mean, it was it was a very candid talk. Yeah. So our first clip is this one here. Uh, JJ. Sir. JJ. First of all, what's the J? It's, give me Jeffrey it, Jacob. Jeffrey Jacob. You know, thanks for doing your research. I think that um, uh, <laughs> it's for the people. For no, the people. I understand. I understand. I, understand. <laughs> so I just thought that one was kind of funny too. When uh, you know Riley threw it out there, I was like, oh, I, I don't know if you ever knew what the JJ was, but the whole thanks for doing your research. I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. been there, been there a time or two or twelve. That's <laughs> funny. And apparently. JJ asked Chris Rock to be the one doing the interview. I guess that's part of the process for it. So it's funny that, you know, it's, it's, he wants Chris Rock because it's Chris Rock. Chris Rock comes in and Chris Rock is just like, wow, this is JJ Abrams. He can do just about whatever he wants. And then there's the, the back and forth of, did you research this stuff at all, man? <laughs> Which is funny to me. Yeah, I, I got a clip out of it too. Uh, now, some of the rest of these are further in. So if there's some that we missed that you thought uh, you know, were great little spots, bring them up as well after we get through these clips. But here is our next one, and I believe this might be our first of the uh, colorful language. I'm like, you must have known the end of Quitters Incorporated when you wrote that script, uh, that, that short story. And he's like, nope, just started writing. I knew there would be a great ending. <laughs> I knew there would be a great ending. How do you have that kind of confidence? Oh Anyone? That's amazing. And so, it's got one of the great endings. It's a it's a Rod Serling at his prime ending. That, oh, that's right. Well, the ending of Star Wars. When did did you have it before you started? Because it's well the best ending. If <laughs> they had an well, Oscar for best ending, and they probably should. Uh, what we had was we knew that obviously getting to Luke was the whole story, and we knew that it was gonna. I, I was desperate to do the next chunk. We knew that it would never fit in this one movie, um, but. Uh, we knew that we had that ending. Now, it was, it was frankly, a tricky thing to do. And at first, uh, in all honesty, uh, Mark Hamill was a little bit resistant because it was like, imagine reading Star Wars. Imagine being Mark Hamill. <laughs> and you get the script for the new Star Wars. And you're like, oh, the crawl's good. Page two. <laughs> <laughs> The fuck is going on? I'm three pages before the end. The last what? You know, um, he was so kind to, to do it. And he was like, at, at first, you know, a little bit like, well, will it seem silly? Will it be like a, a joke that he's standing there at the end? You know, and, and I, I said to him, I don't think it will. Uh, uh, <laughs> Mr. Hamill slam. No, um, I, I, I don't think so. I think it'll, it, you know, it could, it could be maybe a, this whole movie because it's all about him. It could be this sort of great, fun drum roll up to seeing this guy. Because, I mean, here's what's amazing. When we shot that scene in Ireland on Skellig Michael, we were on this, I mean, it was what it looked like. And we're up there and there could only be like 45 people 
on the crew because you couldn't bring many people up there and there was only one way up, which was the 642 stairs to the top. And so we're up there shooting the scene and, you know, it's Ireland, so it's, it's like, it's raining, then it's sunny, then it's raining, then it's sunny, you know, it's like, it's, it's insane. And we're up there and in between, you know, the shots, um, we're, we're, we're getting this, this thing and uh, I'm looking at him and I, I realize he's the same age, exactly, that Alec Guinness was when he played Obi-Wan. Mm. And there he is, and I'm looking at him as the, as the sort of mist is clearing, and I have my phone, and I put on the binary sunset cue that John Williams wrote, you know, and I'm listening to this music, and I'm looking at Mark Hamill wearing these robes, and I literally start to get tear up. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I just know this ending could really work. And of course, when you're working with John Williams for real, it's just cheating. Because no matter what you do, John Williams comes in, he's like, and he just makes it Star Wars. You know, it's crazy. I that was just great. I, could you just imagine what it had to have been like to beat him? I think I think that would have been a, a rough place. And I, I still have a hard time when I think about the fact that you know Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford are never going to get to have any scenes together. Like that had to have been a bummer too for him. Like man, Harrison, I was really looking forward to working with you again, but I guess that's not in the cards, man. Yeah, I think it's funny that, you know, I mean, he got to do more at the table read, right, than he got to do in the actual film, because he was at least narrating the table read. Uh, but no, I like the fact that, and it's it's funny, because they talk about how he was afraid that Hamill wouldn't want to do it, but even with that small, small bit in the film, I think Hamill has, probably of all of the film actors from the original trilogy, has that same love of the material that sort of drives him through and a real heavy appreciation for the fans that I think he would see this kind of thing and say, you know what, I know what you're doing with this. I may not have as big a part, but absolutely I'm going to be a part of it because you need Luke Skywalker for this and I'm not going to let you down, the fans down, or myself down and say no to this. I, it's just an interesting uh, dynamic to him as a person. I, he seems like someone who... I mean, it's like he takes parts because he enjoys them. I mean, you don't play the Joker that much and agree to come back for the killing joke if you don't have fun with it. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, well well put. <laughs> now, our next one, uh, this is another fun little clip here. I actually, uh, I think this one might be my favorite. Hi, um, I just, hi, my name is Kyle. And then his microphone dies down and JJ's looking. Oh, um, I was going to ask... You, JJ, um, who Ray's parents are. Uh, get out! Where are you, first of all? I can't tell where this person is. Okay, there. Uh, get out. No. Um, uh, uh, Ray's parents are, uh, not in episode seven. Uh, so I can't possibly in this moment uh, tell you who they are, but I will say that it is, uh, this is all I will say, it is something that Ray thinks about too. Touche, touche, touche. Now, I've heard about this one before. Uh, I don't believe him. I, I want to personally say that on the biggest of all technicalities, Luke Skywalker wasn't really in the film. So. Well, 
Well, he said he clarified later that when he said they aren't in episode seven, he's not meaning necessarily that a character from episode seven couldn't be the parent. What his meaning was that they acting as the parents don't show up and are not revealed as the parents in the movie. Was he was kind of trying to tell a joke at the character's expense to an extent. So I think yeah. he's clarified really since then that 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 shouldn't be taken all that literally. He pulled a classic Kenobi. I mean, it was true. Yeah. Point of view. <laughs> yeah, that was the one that I was I was like, uh, you know, you knew some kid somewhere was going to go that route and kind of pull that on him. You know, it was bound to happen. Uh, but I love the way he played it. He was very jovial with the kid. Uh, the amazing thing about doing Star Wars, uh, among others, because it was an insane experience, was uh, discovering that just because you're doing a Star Wars movie, uh, nothing changes in terms of the fundamentals. You know, like when you're doing a scene and it's a couple people or a few people and you're in a space, uh, that's what matters more than anything. And the establishing shots and the big wide shot, they're important, they're critical, they're great. But like the stuff that really matters are the looks, uh, are the things that aren't said, are the things that the audience can infer based on what is being alluded to. It's all that kind of stuff. And uh, when I was on the set of The Millennium Falcon and we started doing, you know, work with Ray and Finn, the first time we did it, it didn't work at all as we wrote it. They were much more contentious. It was a very weird thing. I didn't direct it right. It was set up all wrong. And, um, and when Harrison Ford got injured, uh, which was a very scary day, um, we ended up having uh, a few weeks off. And it was during that time that I really got to look at what we had done and rethink it and then rewrite quite a bit of that relationship. And so when we came back to work again, we actually just reshot from the ground up those scenes. And it was an amazingly helpful thing to, you know, get these two characters to where they needed to be. But once again, they were two characters in a space. And it could have been Cloverfield, it could have been the Falcon, it could have been anywhere. And those were the things that mattered, mattered most. That was a cool one too. I like, there was a lot of insight in this whole little interview. And I don't know. I mean, Nate, have you ever heard any of these before these director talks or any of the Tribeca talks that they've done? I, I mean, is this the first time they've done it? Do you know? I've there's, this is totally new. There's quite a few of them that I ran into on YouTube when searching for this one, but I haven't actually checked out any of them. I think that it's interesting, based on what he said there about how it wasn't working with Ray and Finn. I'm trying to think of when that would be, and I'm wondering if what he's referring to is when they're trying to fix the Falcon, and she's like, "No, that one. No, that one. No, that one." And maybe that's the scene in which they would have been much more contentious because I, mean, I guess he he did say that there was some rewriting to it. Um, but I wonder <laughs> where the contentiousness was coming from, like where in the story process would we have seen that that we don't see it now? Yeah, because yeah, because that's definitely one of my favorite scenes when they do that. Uh, now, maybe it could have been when she was asking. No, because it was in the Falcon. No. Hmm. Because, yeah, the one scene that always kind of stands out to me of odd is when uh, he just got the door that shut down on the uh, the Rathgar or whatever they're called, uh, the little tentacle creatures that were inside the ship that Han brought. And he's like going on about how it dropped. And she's like, that was lucky. <laughs> you're just, I'm like, what? that was it? Like, <laughs> OK, that was that one always felt a little weird. So but that clearly isn't the scene because they're talking about it being in the Falcon where, you know, you could have all the right elements and still quite get it wrong. You know, kind of like the beginning of this episode. <laughs> so before we move on to our next story, Nate, were there any others that jumped out to you when you were watching this? It was like, what, an 
an hour and five minutes long. Quite a bit of stuff to all condense down here in a couple minutes, but. Yeah, I watched it this afternoon with my wife sitting across the room going, is it over yet? Is it over yet? Because she's just not into the interview stuff. Um, <laughs> I found it interesting, and I think it bears being recognized from a community standpoint that uh, he was talking about how he got a lot of flack and is still getting flack for how similar to A New Hope The Force Awakens was. And he describes the reason being that they wanted to get back to the feel of the original trilogy and that part of that was to use familiar story beats so you know immediately this is Star Wars, but that those are essentially kind of like the posts and then the rest of the story is hung off of that. So you can sort of look at The Force Awakens and see where it's intentionally mirroring or echoing or whatever you want to call it, refrains, choruses, um, but then the rest of the stuff hanging off of it plays out very differently. Um, So I thought that was a good clarification. I found it... Uh, heartening to hear him, especially when talking to a younger generation of filmmakers, and I deal with teenagers constantly uh, in my job, and and I don't know, there's, an, there's a sense of entitlement out there amongst the current generation that boggles my mind to a degree. And he says, you know, if you're looking for early jobs in your career, um, it's not just the jobs you want. Sometimes you have to take the jobs you don't necessarily have a passion for because it's the next step. It's what's next in the process. You know, nobody wants to start, to put it in my phrases, in the mailroom, but you're not going to start as an executive. You know, you have to start somewhere and you have to actually be willing to do that. And, And then Chris Rock actually got what I think was the primary motivating phrase of the entire interview. Uh, he points out the idea that whether you're, you're, uh, uh, a camera operator, whether you're a cinematographer, whether you're an actor in a bit part, an actor in a starring role, that you can shine anywhere. The idea that it's not necessarily about getting the right job with the right people. It's in a sense shining in what you do and doing the best you can in what you do, um, because that's how, in many cases, greatness is found. He talks about how he was basically doing a, a comedy thing that never even aired, and somebody from Saturday Night Live saw it and saw him shine in that, so to speak, brought him in, and sort of the rest is history as far as starting Chris Rock's career. So it was it was interesting. I definitely think it was worth sitting down for the hour 10 or whatever it was to actually watch it all the way through instead of just the getting sort of the highlights from news articles after the fact. Yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, somebody's got to scrub the toilets, and, you know, you all start somewhere. Uh yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked the inside. I was really surprised by the colorful language. I wasn't I was not aware that the Tribeca, I mean, I don't know that I always thought the Tribeca stuff was like kind of like the Oscars and like really high and, and, you know, like formal, you know, like, so, so having some colorful language like that is such a formal event. I was like, Whoa, wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. So moving along, our next one comes from our friends over at club Jade. Uh, It talks about, yes, those episode eight Reddit quote unquote spoilers are, and I'm taking some liberty here. Bull Sith. Uh, they were uh, talking about some of the stuff. Now, I'm going to keep this spoiler free. Uh, there are some links in this article that we have linked to our show note that we will talk about if we have time in our rumor section after feedback. Uh, because I want to keep this spoiler free. And I know that we've had some fans out there that have asked us to keep the spoilers towards the end. So we're going to try to do that here. Uh, but basically, they're uh, debunking most of the stuff. And uh, what I found most interesting of note, though, was uh, one of them was the second one being deleted, and it was the script was supposedly deleted. Uh, But Pablo Hidalgo has denied it several times on Twitter, and his tweets I found to be kind of revealing in and of themselves. Uh, One of them, uh, someone he tweets to Pablo, and they're saying, uh, 
you know, the first, this can't be the first episode eight script, can it? Pablo, debunking this rumor if you could. And then uh, Pablo goes, uh, he says, of course it isn't, but I soon, but I figure I'll be stopping these debunk requests soon. And then the second one is Pablo just came across the leaked episode eight script. I didn't read it, but can you confirm if it's real or not? Afraid of spoilers. He says, it's garbage, but don't get used to me fielding such posts because I'm sure one day something legit will show up. Uh, Now, this is something that I found very interesting in regards to the fact that Pablo's having to step away from this. And I think it's really interesting to have you on at this moment because we've talked about similar stuff like this on Beyond the Films with Leland Chi having to step away from fan interactions in regards. Now, both Chi and Hildago are both members of the story group. It does put them in a very unique situation. They are kind of like the public face of the new George Lucas team. Uh, you know, and you know, you've got all these different things that are, you know, people are trying to get their attention. So is it seem like something of a mistake to have Pablo have to step back or does that seem like the the norm? I'm in the opinion that, that it makes sense for him to step back. But at the same time, I like kind of think they do need to have somebody out there that people can ask these questions to and get the rumors debunked. What's your thought on that? I think it's a question of what exactly it is you're bringing to him. I think, you know, asking questions about currently released materials, for instance, like somebody came up to him, uh, the official visual story guide for The Force Awakens has a reference in it that claims that Kylo Ren actually formed the Knights of Ren, that he wasn't just a member of it, but that he created it. Um, and Pablo's saying, no, that that contradicts some other stuff. I would have slashed that had I, that come across my desk, that sort of thing. Um, or him going through and clarifying... You know, the, the ages of the characters once The Force Awakens was out. Hey, yeah, no, Kylo Ren and Rey cannot be twins if they're basically a decade apart in age. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's something like rumors, they have to be very careful because they don't want to necessarily debunk something that would point people necessarily in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um and they can't get into the job of debunking every little thing. Uh, I think the fan assumption is – and it's not realistic at all. But the fan assumption might be in some circles, okay, there's these 10 wild theories out there. He has publicly debunked seven of them. He hasn't gotten around to the other three. That makes them true because they won't speak on them, right? The You're not saying it's false, so it must be true, which is not, you know, it's, what is the old, uh, 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 absence of evidence is not evidence of absence kind of <laughs> thing. Um where they'd be drawing conclusions that shouldn't be drawn. I just, I think it's, it's a, it's a contextual thing. I mean, have him out there. It's great to see him interacting and whatnot, but there'll be times where he just won't answer. And we need to take the same approach with him as we did with Leland Chi back uh, on the old starwars.com message boards, which is, you know, if a question is asked and we know they've seen the question and they choose not to answer, let it go because maybe they can't answer. Maybe they won't answer, but they've seen it. Okay. Your question's been asked. There's got to be a reason. It's not just that they're ignoring you and being a jerk. Yep. And as Club Jade puts it at the bottom of their article, but as we know, however, it pays to be very, very cynical about leaks this early in the process. Don't believe everything you read, particularly on Reddit. Wait, you're you're saying that episode seven didn't begin with a severed hand flying through space with a lightsaber in it? Wait, that that wasn't in the special director's cut? Oh, man, I must have got a bootleg of a fan film or something. (laughs) All right. Our next one also comes from Club Jade. Uh, I've seen this one. It was flowing about the day it happened. The Royals visit the episode eight set. Uh, They got all sorts of pictures here. Uh, You know, 
I gotta, I gotta admit, like I, I come from a country, Nate. You come from a country where we don't have a royal family, so it's a different kind of thing. Like on one hand, I'm stoked for those guys uh, as a, you know, on a, on a strictly fan to fan level, but on the other side, I'm like, mm-hmm. you so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I think it's a different dynamic, you know. I mean, here it'd be as if. I'm not even sure I would say that it'd be as if the president visited a set or something as a way of sort of honoring what you're doing, because I think we're so contentious at this point in the U.S. in politics that there'll be just as many people saying, oh, Obama's on set, going, oh, Obama's on set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whereas with these guys, I think back to just recently, it was the 400th anniversary of, I guess it was like the birth of Shakespeare. Um and they did a thing, and just part of this big tribute, where a bunch of people who had played Hamlet before or had done Shakespeare roles before have this argument on stage, this staged argument on stage, um, about it's supposed to be to be or not to be. No, it's to be or not to be, and like how to say it. And Prince Charles gets up on stage and does it. And the crowd just goes nuts. Nice. Uh, we, I think, in the U.S. will probably never really have that mindset of the idea of our leaders, even the figurehead leaders, as being that special to show up on set. But I think it'd be similar to, you know, if in the U.S. it's someone who's thought of as a very uh, uh, good-natured celebrity of some kind, uh, an actor, an actress or something. Uh, uh, Simon Pegg, if he hadn't said all the stuff he said about the prequels showing up on set, uh, that sort of thing. I mean... It's it's just a nifty thing, and it means they took more pictures, yeah. which means we get more insights, theoretically, like, when the yeah, pictures get out. That we see, which leaves people to assume that they clearly were on part of the set for Rogue One as well as Episode Eight. So I, that's that was one of the cool things that jumped right out to me. It is cool, too, because a lot of this is all being filmed right there in the UK. So to have, you know... The, the the prim and proper, the royal family come and give you that, you know, congratulations and that hand of shaking of friendship and all that like the the pat on the back of you doing a good job I, i'm just seeing you know harry hugging harry chewbacca and i'm just like man like I, it warms my heart to see it it looks like they're all having fun and i think that that's like one of the aspects that i get excited about when i think about the star wars lands and and stuff coming to disney I'm like i can't wait to get my interaction with this stuff life-size because everybody in all these pictures are just ear-to-ear grins <laughs> so tell me the millennium falcon is it bigger on the inside Sorry, bad Doctor Who joke for those who have the slightest idea what I'm talking about. Wrong show, wrong genre. Next. I I got it, I got it. All right, our next one is another rumor, uh, and I want to say this also is coming from Club Jade, I think. Yep, yep, Riley was uh, sticking with Club Jade as his news source this week, which is not at all a bad thing. And uh, our next one is a rumor for a front runner for a young Han Solo film. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, Nate, but I still don't think we've had it confirmed that there's going to be a Han Solo film or have they actually confirmed that? I thought it had been confirmed because at one point there was a comment about how it wasn't going to include, I don't remember what it was. It wasn't going to include such and such. Therefore, it's Yoda and the Boba Fett ones that are still unconfirmed then. Right. I I think so. I know that at least with the casting call and whatnot, people are sort of uh, if it's not official, it's as official as it can be without them actually officially saying so. It's 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 Pablo sitting back with his coffee, getting interrupted by Andy from Rebels Recon and just kind of looking cryptically at the camera. Yeah, so the rumor is that Alden Ehrenreich is going to be playing uh, the front runner for Han Solo. Uh, and I'm going to be adding a picture of him into the show notes for everyone here. Now, for me, Wait, I would like... Alden Ehrenreich? 
Yeah. Alden Ehrenreich. That's what I'm saying. So clearly who, you recognize who, who, Who's Alden Ehrenreich? Now, that's what I want to say. I was like, okay, I looked up his IMDb, and I'm like, okay, I recognize the movie Hail Caesar. I haven't seen it yet. And I looked through everything else, and I'm thinking, this guy kind of looks familiar. And I'm not seeing anything I recognize him in. And then I get down to the very bottom, and I go, oh, Supernatural. He played Ben Collins in the episode Wendigo. Oh, okay. That gots to be the only place I could have recognized this gentleman because I didn't, I haven't seen Hail Caesar and I didn't recognize anything else. So he was really out there. But for me, I don't know. I have a hard time because when I close my eyes, I go with that Anthony Ingruber guy, uh, you know, that, that uh, mm -hmm. was in the age of Adeline, that guy when, and I'm going to share the link in our show notes here. Uh, he put in, you know, these Han Solo impressions and stuff. And while at times his voice doesn't 100% do a convincing Han, his look and his demeanor as he plays it nails it way more than this guy. Uh, so I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping this stays a rumor because I would rather have uh, Anthony play that role. But what's your thoughts, Nate? I wonder if Ingruber is being... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's maybe being hindered in the process... By, among other things, how much of a bandwagon jumping on has happened with the idea of him being cast. Um, it seems that a lot of times with uh, big Hollywood movies, when casting becomes obvious, it doesn't happen. You know, like they may even be thinking about someone and then the casting becomes the big news and it doesn't happen. Uh, and it may just be that they want to go for somebody who's lesser known and he would be lesser known but he's also got the fan following now because of the impressions and such um but i think back to episode one i mean we were hearing all kinds of stuff about how dude paul walker in episode one no 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 no, no not paul walker dude it's gonna be leonardo dicaprio as anakin and those rumors persisted for months and it winds up being future criminal jake lloyd yeah, and, and then there was all the Zac Efron in episode eight and, mm -hmm. you know, like all the leading heartthrobs. Oh, man, yeah. Although I got to admit, after watching 17 again, I'm kind of like, you know, Zac Efron, he could play a Jedi. I'd be okay with that. He could be part of Luke's new order. He could be, you know, the third Jedi that Luke retrains. Uh, I'd be okay with that. And no, no, that was a joke. Jake Lloyd has had his issues, but, uh, yeah, apparently the criminal activity is more based on uh, untreated psychological condition um so just a joke folks i'm actually one who would probably be on the side of a saying yeah we should probably be supporting the guy because in a sense it was our fandom that in some ways ruined his young life because he was so uh, so recognizable as anakin but still point of fact being that jake lloyd who was very little known at the time got in the big names that we thought it was going to be that were being bandied about like crazy None of them made the cut, and as far as we know, most of them didn't even audition for the part. Wasn't it? We didn't even get it through the door. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, and that's a, a good thing to put in there. I, I threw it in the show notes too. The whole uh, support for Jake Lloyd. Uh, I've seen a few different. Uh, I don't know if they're Facebook groups or just websites that have been sharing different ones. Uh, you know, like to support Jake Lloyd. You know, and I don't know if Jake's ever going to see it, but I really think it's nice that the fan community is is rallying to something where to like you said you know a large degree the fandom did bully him and, and help add to the problems that the poor guy's having so to have us kind of you know say hey you know we support you we hope you have some uh you know better health and better days coming your way uh you know i think that's kind of cool <laughs> 
You're listening to the Star Wars Report. Many boffins died to bring you this podcast. And for the love of God, the boffins weren't part of Rogue One. Wrong Death Star, people. <laughs> Absolutely. And once again, we'd like to thank our Patreons out there for supporting us and helping make the Star Wars Report happen each week. Uh, moving along, we're going to go into Boba's Bounty, our new segment where we have something cool that we did, saw, read, or listened to in the world of Star Wars. Uh, Riley had a choice, but we're going to save it for next week. Mine uh, was Star Wars Bloodlines by Claudia Gray. Uh, that came to me just an hour before I shipped off for the lava bed, so I had some night reading material when I got back from caving when I was very sore and able to hold it up for only about an hour at a time. So I'm not that deep into it yet. Uh, but so far, I'm enjoying it. And I did see that, Nate, you also have gotten this book and are really enjoying it. The mm -hmm. one thing that really jumped up to me, though, because like I said, I'm not that deep in it, was the fact that once again, Leia is taking time to focus on her stepfather, Bail Organa, which is okay in one right. I'm okay with that. But I'm like, 20 years after A New Hope, like, really? Like, we're going to do it now? Like, it just seems like a little late, but... Clearly, Bale plays a bigger role than ever before in the background of the Star Wars mythos. I don't more know. More statues, more better. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, I picked up this one. I actually finished reading it uh, in the last about 24, 48 hours here. Um, put it this way. I was about halfway through it, a little less than halfway through it, when I started reading it on the last night that I read it. And I blew through the entire rest of the book. Uh, Claudia Gray has definitely done it again. We have the Leia book in a sense that we've been waiting for. It's it's right. certainly a good capturing of Leia well beyond the that's not Leia version that we got in the Princess Leia comic. Uh, blows Razor's Edge out of the water the last time they attempted to do a Leia-centric book. Uh, it gives us some surprising context for things leading into The Force Awakens because this is a book six years prior to The Force Awakens. And it leaves some question as to, wait a second, when did certain things happen because of the situation in this book? Um, it does tie into things for the force awakens. I mean, this is much more of a journey to the force awakens book than any of the books in journey to the force awakens, that whole publishing line. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a really, really good star Wars book. And there were moments that had me sort of like, Ooh, and hit with the emotional impact again. I don't know what it is about the female star Wars writers lately, Christy golden and Claudia gray, but they're managing to keep hitting me in the gut emotionally at least once or twice in every book that they're putting out. So highly, highly recommended when this thing hits store shelves. And if you go to Barnes & Noble and their website, um, they have signed copies for sale. And there is an exclusive version at Barnes & Noble that has some kind of like built-in poster that I think is like the dust jacket that comes off and turns into a poster or something. Um, but Barnes & Noble is where you get some exclusives for that one. Oh, interesting. You know, one other thing that's jumped out to me that I really hope Del Rey is going to change their mind and put back. I really miss the character lists at the beginning of these books. Uh, they've got the timeline in there. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. But come on, give me a character list. It doesn't even have to be all the characters. Just give me the four or five main ones. Uh, it just that's the one problem I'm having because, you know, me, I don't always get to sit down and blaze through it like Nate. I have to read my books when I can between scouting events, between family events, between sleep, between work. And it's in fits and starts. And so sometimes I forget which character did what. I'm just I'm going back and rereading chapters and stuff. And sometimes it helps just to have that list to go back and have a quick refresher. Maybe I just need to write it down on a piece of paper, I guess. Uh, Nate, what's your bounty this week? 
Uh, mine this time, something cool I got a chance to participate in without knowing it, was that uh, you may recall that uh, on my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio, uh, I had started a vlog recently because I was running out of content for from the Star Wars Home Video Library and thought I'd just kind of wax philosophical and BSing on Star Wars topics. And when the Rogue One trailer came out, I did a quick little episode for the vlog, really mainly based on the fact that a lot of people were doing the whole, I can't believe it's another brown-haired woman thing, uh, and did a quick little reaction video to it. Well, apparently, the visual effects team at ILM, working on Rogue One, watched a bunch of the fan reaction videos, took pieces of them and made them into a big montage, and then as a group, they sat down and recorded their own video as a reaction to the reactions, uh, where we see them watching it and see their reactions to it. Uh, they put it up as the uh, ILM Rogue One chain reaction. And uh, sure enough, about 6 minutes and 10 or 20 seconds into it, there's a small clip from my trailer reaction, uh, where it's me talking about how with the, the look of the Star Destroyers in the teaser, you really can't tell if they're models or CGI, and if they're CGI's, they're fantastic. And upon me saying that, the the visual effects team starts, you know, clapping and being all excited about the fact that I couldn't tell the difference, which I guess is a great thing in CGI. Um, but it was cool. I finally got a chance to, in voicing my opinion on something that I wanted to do just kind of as a fun thing, um, it, it's nice to have that little tiny tip of the hat um, from the ILM team, which, I mean, I've, I've had a chance to have my works referenced in things like the Essential Readers Companion and uh, New Essential Guide to Characters. I've I've had a chance to contribute from time to time and that sort of thing, but it's always been people within the publishing side, right? The licensee side. Uh, even when Pablo Hidalgo made the reference, it was a reference with uh, the the Reader's Companion, which is part of the publishing side. Uh, I've never really had a chance to have anything that I've done or seen get acknowledged at all uh, or even seen, as far as I know, by folks actually on the film production side of things. So to see that little clip in there, that was a a really big thrill for me last week. Yeah, I was pretty stoked too. I was like, oh, mom, you got to check this out. My co-host, he got this clip in there. Go nuts. Like, and I didn't know. I didn't know. It took one of the Twitter followers to say, hey, I think I heard your voice in there. I was like, what? Because uh -huh. I hadn't even seen the video yet. And so I'm listening. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? If I'm in there, where is it? I'm like, oh my God, it's me. And you know, it's like they five seconds. But I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I liked the most was like, you know, you could see the sense of accomplishment on them based off of your comments. You're like, you know, right. I don't even know if they recognized you, but, you know, I mean, oh, they no. were seriously no. excited about the fact that you were fooled. <laughs> yes, yes. I am at my best when I am foolish. Yes. Nice, nice. And I will definitely put the link to your Chrono Radio YouTube channel here on the site. Now, you also have uh, hit a milestone recently, right? Yes, um, and I didn't realize it. Uh, I've been putting out a ton of content. I've been putting out from the Star Wars Home Video Library, which looks at all the home video releases, did some recently on the Force Awakens releases and whatnot, uh, some of the Japanese releases and such, been putting out live streams and whatnot, but I've never really cared that much about stats. Like, I don't usually look at them. So it was very surprising the other day when I actually pulled it up, and before I went to upload another video, I actually saw the stats and took note of them up at the top, and apparently the channel has passed, it's now passed 511,000 visitors. So I've passed the milestone of half a million visits uh, to the YouTube channel, uh, which Ooh. I never would have expected. And about 2,000 plus subscribers, it's it's going gangbusters. And I, 
Uh, well, as far as I'm concerned, you know, just using the yeah. numbers I think of with podcasting. And I had no idea. I, I wasn't even looking. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. And you've been doing a lot. Like, I mean, you've had like four or five just this last week, even. Mm-hmm. Most recently it was, and I think this is something that, that would be right up your alley, Mark. And I did a, a vlog. It's actually the first vlog since the trailer reaction one <laughs> on the whole continue legends billboard and Chuck Wendig's response to it. Cause anybody who listens to our Star Wars Beyond the Films knows I'm not a real fan of Chuck Wendig. Uh, I think that, and we and we dealt with it at the time. I was not a fan of the writing style of Aftermath. I thought Aftermath's story was serviceable, but it wasn't what we expected. And all the hubbub around it, where he was sort of giving flack back to the fans, giving flack to him, some justified, some not, and all just the the ugliness that came about on social media surrounding the book's release left me with a very bad taste in my mouth. But then he put out this open letter to Continue Legends fans, which granted, while completely avoiding any responsibility on his part for any of the brouhaha and the flack that he gets, some of which he's kind of engendered, I think, uh, in some of his own comments, he makes a really good case for, you know, we'd love to see more Legends. Even he would love to see more. It's probably not going to happen. If it does, there's some ways it might. Here's why it might not. And whether it happens or not, we need to keep some of the fringe outlier people who are really sort of giving a bad name to that whole movement and, and do what we can to keep that from being the face of the movement and such. And uh, I thought that was profound enough that I really heartily agreed with him, which blew my mind agreeing with Chuck Wendig, <laughs> um, and did, did a commentary video that basically went through his entire statement and added commentary to it so that hopefully we can add a, a level of, I don't know, civility. To the argument and such, but I figured that's something exactly within your wheelhouse because I know you follow the Continue Legends thing more than I do. You haven't you actually had people come to you and tell you to rein in your community? Yeah, well, you know, I, I have. Uh, the whole Continue Legends thing was kind of my thing, and then the Bring Back Legends had its little thing, and you know, like like I was telling Riley because you know it was a topic that we talked about not really talking about, and I like you know there is a lot of negativity that comes with it, but I think that. If we focus on the positive, at the end of the day, it comes down to this one question. Is more Star Wars a bad thing? And if you say no, then I don't see why there's a problem with continuing stories in an alternate universe that is not going anywhere. I mean, we're, you know, I mean, that's that to me, I think that's the end of it all. I think, you know, you take all the bullying on both sides away and all that stuff and you just you funnel it down to the most basic point and that's it is just people want more stories they don't care anymore i i'm sure there are people that care if whether it's continuity or not but that's not the point anymore the just point is just let's continue those stories we you know it doesn't have to be canon it just needs to continue or even come to an end i mean there's just you know go again back to a couple episodes of star wars beyond the films where you know we had a whole episode on continue legends and the stories out there that could end uh that are wide open still you know, all good stories have a start, a middle, and an end. And Legends doesn't really have an end. It does have an end point, but that's really where the publishing just stopped and the well dried up. And, you know, there are people out there that are like, oh, we're sick of hearing about Sword of the Jedi. Well, Sword of the Jedi was one of the few books that they had told us was coming down the line before they knew that 
they weren't coming down the line. So it's like, in a sense, we were kind of told they were coming. And so, yeah, you got these people that feel like they have a sense of entitlement because at the time you would get announcements for books six months to a year in advance. And then at a time you'd get a character list of some of the characters in it. Then you'd get the cover. And these are all things that people that have been following the books for the last 25 years were excited about each week and that stuff like, Hey, Sue Rostoni, what's new this week kind of thing. And they would go to the site and all that. And, there was a lot of changes before Legends became what it was. So there's just a lot really brewing around it. But I've seen a couple other articles out there that have done a good job. I, I'm really excited about the one that you did. I know that you've had a lot of people check that out. Uh, but, I, you know, and that's, I think, the end of the day. I think that there's, there is some positivity to it, but it's just really hard to see in the muck that our mm -hmm. fandom has allowed to be created throughout all this. Yeah, I think what it comes down to, at least from my perspective, is that... It, it's the old line from, I think it was Babylon 5, right? Uh, a three-edged sword, your side, their side, and the truth. And in this, uh, in this case, you've got the hardcore legend shouldn't continue side. The hardcore legends should continue side. But in the middle, there has to be some acknowledgement of these are the business realities. These are the actual concerns that Disney would have trying to do it. So here's the most likely possible scenarios. Um, it's kind of like, I, I think it was the first episode of my vlog. Uh, and you'll love the title if you have it. It's, uh, the Voice of Reason or Lack Thereof. So it could go either way. <laughs> um, I think it was the first vlog was on I put down on whether or not the reboot was necessary or perhaps even inevitable. And when you really take it through the logic of, okay, who controls the franchise? What is their goal with it? Uh, you know, what existed, what do they expect for more mainstream audiences, blah, 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 all these different considerations, you can kind of take it through a logical path to figure out, okay, what were the viable scenarios they could have gone with? What were the positive and negatives of each possibility? And did they choose what we think perhaps would be the right one? But you've got to be able to take an intellectually honest way of looking at it and break it down and actually take a logical approach to it. It can't just be all emotion. Uh, I know... In this election cycle, emotions are huge, but dude, you know, we got to step back from it. I think, and I think even I would take a more narrow view than, than what you said about, you know, are more Star Wars stories, uh, good and is that the end all be all of it? I think that, yes, I want to see more Star Wars stories wherever they are, but I think that for the question of continued legends, it's almost too simple a question because, it's that question of, are is it good, but also things like, well, would it be confusing to some? Uh, what should it be? How much should it be? What percentage should it be? What should it continue? Should they be labeled? Should canon be labeled? Uh, there's so many more questions that spawn off of just one basic starting point question that it's a very complex issue. For, for all that it's made out to be a very black and white issue, it's not. And I'd love to see more serious conversation about it and less you know, flame throwing, less bomb throwing on both sides of it, which I think is what that's what Windig was basically trying to get at was, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's not bomb throw. And I'm, I'm sitting back going, was it, that was Windig. That was Windig. <laughs> I didn't I didn't recognize you with your red arm or your lack of sentence fragments. I'm amazed. Yeah. The one other one that I really liked was from actually a person that was not a fan of the expanded universe. And they were talking about how at the time of the, the Legends announcement, they were like, good. Yeah, that's a great thing. And then now they felt like, well, they made a mistake and it was, it was a very interesting read. So, you know, basically the point of that is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there with lots of opinions. Go check it out. Uh, you know, decide for yourself. Um, you know, 
it's a different thing. Moving ahead with that, we've got our feedback. Uh, this one comes to the Star Wars Report, as well as you may have heard this on Full of Sith and Wampas Lair, because apparently it went to all three of us. Uh, it's from Damien, and Damien writes, One of my teachers asked me this question, and I would like, to, I would like you all to answer it. I could normally answer Star Wars question, but this one got to me. Here it is. Why does the latest movie show Darth Vader's crushed helmet and imply he's still a Sith, even though he took his helmet off before he died and became a Jedi? Now, my answer is Luke was training some Jedi one day and Kylo came in and killed everyone in there. He asked the one gal from Maz's castle who informed the First Order that the droid was there to get Vader's helmet. She did. And no, he used it as a connection to his grandfather. Please answer this for me in your podcast. I would love to hear your response. I couldn't answer because I didn't read all the books and I need to read. And it's a hard question to figure out with autism and ADD, along with going into my theory territory. I also have a question. What did Vader start and how will Kylo Ren finish it? May the force be with you. Now, when I think about that, that's uh that's an interesting one because I want to say some of the bonus features and some of the little articles that JJ have put out have kind of given us some little hints to some of the stuff. Uh, the question that I always have is, is was it Kylo that got the helmet or did Snoke get the helmet and give it to Kylo? Uh, Cause there's clearly some kind of worship going on from Kylo Ren on Vader. Now the, the question of what did Vader start and what Kylo finishing it to me, that's clearly wiping out the Jedi order. Uh, Kylo is the, you know, the one that was Luke's student that went to the dark side. Uh, we finally had that confirmed. So I think that somewhere, somehow Snoke, convinces ben that this is the right answer uh nate do you have any insight there oh see i think i've got a very different perspective on this one um i think so you know why the crushed helmet um think about kylo ren and i it's hard to answer this without okay i'm gonna do this in a way that doesn't spoil anything from bloodline okay, okay. um at least what i expect to come out of bloodline um we figure that Kylo, or he, he and Snoke, thanks to things we get out of, for instance, the Force Awakens novel, look at the Empire as what should have been. It should have been this centrist, so to speak, um, centralized power that could have ruled the galaxy uh, with uh, wisdom and, you know, absolute control. But it was uh, Palpatine was was somewhat corrupted, and then you had Vader who had a weakness, but his weakness was the light. The weakness was his sentimentality. It says in the novelization, you know, that if Vader hadn't had the weakness of sentimentality and overthrown the Emperor to save his son, the Empire could have still been standing. So he they worship sort of the dark side version of Vader or the controlling version of Vader, so it makes sense that it wouldn't be Anakin that Kylo wants to remember. It's Vader as he was presented with the helmet and such as what he wants to remember. Now, how he gets the helmet, there is still some question what is in the box that Bazin Natal, the one you mentioned, uh, gets in the story of the perfect weapon. You know, is she getting Luke's lightsaber and that's how it gets to Maz? Is she getting Vader's helmet and that's how it gets to Snoke and or Kylo? Ooh. We still don't know. My money was always on it being the lightsaber, but it could be either way. We just know it happens sometime in the gap between Bloodline and... Uh, the Force Awakens because of the way that the timeline lays out at the beginning of Bloodline. Um, I'd think he... I mean, I would say that it had to have come to them directly. It probably had nothing to do with uh, uh, Maz, per se. It's something that maybe Snoke got or whatever. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about, you know, what he sees as the best version. I mean, it's like if you lose a loved one. Um, say you lose a loved one who died of... Alcoholic. Yeah, like it was an alcoholic or a drug user or whatever, right? You try to remember them as they were before they started using the drugs and went downhill. Well, in a sense, that's what Kylo's thinking, right? That the drug was sentimentality. The drug was emotion. And that's what brought him down. So he wants to remember him essentially at his prime. Uh, what is he trying to finish what he started? I wouldn't say wiping out the Jedi because he pretty much did that. I would say to finish what he started was the Empire. You know, the, the totalitarian system that's going to run things with order, which is the whole philosophy the First Order is based on in the first place. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things left to be told with that. I'd love to see a story of how exactly it is, um, that Ben goes from being Ben to being Kylo and, and how that all happens. It's, it'll be, be a very interesting, uh, transformation to see, which so far hasn't been announced in any particular stories yet, unfortunately. I know I'm so waiting for that. So Damien, I hope that answers your question. Uh, if not, good luck out there. I hope you find somebody that can, uh, you know, it's kind of a loose, uh, open to interpretation topic, I guess. Uh, now our next part is going to be our rumors and spoilers. Be sure to pause or skip ahead if you want. We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. All right. Now, this is coming from Reddit.com. So, like Club Jed said, take it with a big old grain of salt. Uh, these are some of those spoilers that they had uh, talked about and linked to earlier. Uh, I haven't read any of these, and there's a part of me that's shaking my fist going, Curse you, Riley, for putting these tempting little demons in front of me. Uh, but then I just kind of just uh, rolled with it and swallowed the little demons down, and I'm like, Nate, let's take the plunge. So uh, these are some of the rumors that they say, please debunk. I don't even think we're going to go that far. We're just going to throw them out there because I honestly, I'm going to go with the route of I don't believe any of these. Uh so if you're going to take that ride with me, uh, you know, do so with your own grain of salt, because these might be legit. I don't have a clue. Uh, our working title so far, they say, is Echoes of the Dark Side. I don't know about you, Nate, but that one I'm okay with. That one sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's okay. Um, and because of that, it probably will not actually be the title. We'll probably get something that we're like, The Phantom Menace? What are they talking about? The Force Awakens? Was it sleeping? <laughs> And all the, the jokes that go with it, right? Yep. Uh, they say it's divided into three equally important plot threads that don't converge until the third act. Ray's, Finn's, and Kylo's. That one, I, I could see that one actually kind of possibly being a legitimate angle. Because <laughs> in a sense, that almost is what you could say is what happened with The Force Awakens, but it was in the first act, almost. <laughs> I kind of feel like that's one that's that's almost like a gimme kind of spoiler, right? Because, I mean, in a sense, a lot of times that's what the Star Wars films do is you get the characters off on different missions that eventually come together at the end. Uh, and we know that at least at the end of the last film, which is apparently where the next film is starting, Ray's off with Luke, Finn was unconscious, and Kylo is off with Hux and the remnants of the First Order and everything. I think it'd be a pretty obvious thing to say, wow, they'll start in different places and they'll come together by the end. So they're going to have scenes together? Okay. And they start basically where the last film ended that we already know? Okay. Where's where's the where's your spoiler again? Yeah. Which kind of goes into this next one. The broad structure isn't as similar to Empire Strikes Back as The Force Awakens was to A New Hope, but the parallels are still present. 
Ray is training in the ways of the Force with an old Jedi Master, Luke, as if you didn't know. I love that they put it in parentheses, on a wild planet. While Finn and Poe are in a beautiful city having a great bromance. I'm sorry, that's not what it says. That was a shady, sinister underpinning. Uh, Finn and Poe are betrayed and captured. <laughs> wait, wait. By- <laughs> okay, <laughs> you said that. So I'm starting, you said the whole bromance thing, so I'm thinking about the whole... Ooh, nice jacket thing. And then you said sinister underput. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to say underpants. He's going to say underpants. <laughs> I couldn't hold it. Oh, that's great. Uh, Finn and Poe are betrayed and captured by Kylo Ren, who uses them as bait to draw Ray out, hiding so Kylo and Ray can have a duel in an industrial portion of the city. That's kind of, I, you know, I, I don't I don't know which way if, if I think that'd go, but I kind of like the idea of having the female rescue the damsels in distress that are dudes. I think that's a, a great flip the script and some diversity there. <laughs> so I'm wondering about the emotional impact if Poe is one of the ones captured because, I mean, does she really even know Poe in, in The Force Awakens? And this one's picking up apparently where that left off so just because the book has them introduce each other inside that little room and and that counts because it's canon although i still don't know how finn gets cut from the front and the back at the same time Uh, i think that's because of how they were going to uh to 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 originally film it as it was going to come from the front as in the novel and they decided to go with the back in the uh, the film i guess they were just assuming that you know getting cut across the spine isn't nearly as bad as getting across, you know, your stomach with your vital organs underneath. I think both of them still kind of suck. Yeah. Uh, the backstory to Luke and his Jedi being wiped out is that Snoke seduced Kylo and that the few of the other students to the dark side and tasked them with killing everyone. Luke and a few others survived, including a young Ray who was subsequently dumped on Jakku by Luke and Ray's mom died in the attack. Okay. Now, this, one, is me, this is me calling timeout and BS that we know that that's false. Oh, we know that this is we false. We know there is no way... That the falling to the dark side of Ben and whatever happened to the Jedi there when he becomes Kylo and everything is tied into uh, Rey and her being dropped off on Jakku. Um, let's just say that the timing of Bloodline and some of the context of Bloodline makes that 100% impossible. Mm-hmm. There is no connection possible between Rey being dropped off on Jakku and what happens with Kylo and Luke and all the other Jedi. It's it's chrono it chronologically makes no sense. But the Kylo part, that could still be true, though. Well, correct? yeah, but we already know that it's Snoke that turns him to the dark side and that he winds up being part of the Knights of Ren. And we see the Knights of Ren in the vision, you know, fighting against the Jedi, presumably in the temple, supposedly in flames, that is at least the way that some of the background is described in the novel. And again, it kind of rolls back to the where's your spoiler? Yeah. Thing, you know, I mean, it say something obvious, tweak your wording of it, make it sound like you got some scoop. No, you really don't. Yeah. All they're going is like, maybe those Knights of Rens were once Jedi. Which, Dude, you know what? Maybe they were. <laughs> big spoiler here. At some point in the movie, somebody's going to activate a lightsaber. <laughs> oh, here's another great one. Ray is pissed at Luke because she guesses that he was her father and is angry at him for abandoning her. Luke turns to her and says, no, you are my father. Yes, really, they say. Uh, now they're just trolling people. This is great. 
Ray is the reincarnation of Anakin Skywalker. Now, I've heard this one before, too. I don't believe it one bit. Luke went to the first Jedi Temple to better understand how the process works. He learned that the spirit of the Chosen One is reincarnated by the Force every time the universe is thrown out of balance, which apparently happens on a semi-regular basis. Anakin was hardly the first time the Chosen One reincarnated. This is why she's so crazy powerful with the Force. Remember when Anakin blew up the Trade Federation donut ship by himself when he was eight years old? Wait, no, he did that because he flew a ship in his shot. Oh my, ugh. I'm facepalming. I am literally so, facepalming. So what we're saying basically is we should expect to see the ones from Mortis show up somehow, or they'll be traveling from Octu, or however you're supposed to pronounce the planet's name at the end of The Force Awakens, and they'll travel to Mortis to hunt down things. And really, Clone Wars was just seeding in what we were going to see in episode eight. Yeah, and they're clearly rolling with this because Ray was produced by a virgin birth, but metachlorines aren't mentioned. Luke says you are a child of the Force. Then it says Luke is hesitant trainer because, according to Jedi history, the Chosen One always struggles with staying on the light side of the Force because of the chaotic powers running through them. He's afraid that she could become Vader 2.0. If he trains her to fight Ky Kylo and she turns dark, she would do more damage to the galaxy than Kylo would ever dream of doing. Now, on one hand, I kind of feel like that might be Luke's point of view because I feel like Luke did that to himself after he lost his order. Well, it's funny because, I mean, what was it that they originally said years ago, back before Lucas claimed that there weren't supposed to be a 7, 8, and 9? Uh, kind of in that gap between saying there were going to be 12 films starting with A New Hope and saying there was only ever supposed to be 6, back when he was saying there were 9 with A New Hope as 4. It was the idea that in the original trilogy, it's the child redeeming the parent, but that in the sequel trilogy, it would essentially be the father redeeming the child. Uh, yeah. Or the one generation redeeming the other, which all, which to me makes it it really sounds like you know Kylo uh, would have to be the one there that they'd be trying to redeem. But I mean, there's a lot of again, just kind of straight up speculation there. Although I'm just waiting for the uh, the, the Monster Squad moment. I'm waiting for him to say, "Well, your mother was it a virgin birth? Had she been within?" Which I, yes. Well, Steve, but he doesn't count. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he ultimately trains her anyway and leaves everything up to the Force. He makes this decision in a scene where he confers with the ghost of Obi-Wan and Yoda. Now it says Ewan McGregor and Frank Oz come back. Now, I honestly, I would be very happy if that one turns out to be true, especially more so with Yoda. That's that's a character I've always been wanting to come back as a Force ghost in Legends. Uh, every big, I mean, when Ableth showed up, I was like, come on, please throw freaking Yoda in the lake of apparitions, man. Like I, I just, I've always thought there should have been something like when the Vong showed up, you know, Yoda going, Hey, you know, tap him on the shoulder, Luke, you know, get your butt up, get prepared. Bad stuff's coming, buddy. Something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So if they go this route in Canon, I will be very tickled and pleased. Yeah, I'd like to see a Force Ghost of Yoda finally show up if they're going to have Force Ghosts being used at all. I mean, if they're going to assume that they can exist beyond you know a matter of you know a year or two if they're going to be able to exist decades hence i think that'd be a great thing to see i would love anything that would finally bring you and mcgregor back as obi-wan and maybe set the stage for a solo film for him um though you'd have to kind of explain it unless you really made up obi-wan you're sort of a yes you see what i discovered was that you know what when you're a ghost you can actually refine your appearance anakin taught me that so i went back to dapper it's better for the ghostly ladies Mm -hmm. Or they'll put out another edition of Return of the oh, Jedi. Yes. Yeah, just screw it. Just change Return of the Jedi and make it Ewan McGregor at the end. I mean, duh. 
That'd be our first official retcon of the new canon right there. Oh, God. That's that's why they're waiting on the 3D Blu-rays, because they're making changes again. Oh, man. All right, we're going to jump through a couple of these all at once. Uh, Ray learns lightsaber skills, force skills, and has a vision quest thing where she talks with Maz Kanata, unsure if it's telepathy, just a dream, or maybe Maz might be dead, and Hayden Christensen. Uh, the latter tells her that she is wait, him. Wait, wait, wait. She has a vision of Anakin, or she has a vision of Hayden Christensen? Because those are two very different things. Clearly, it's got to be Anakin, but uh, <laughs> so saying, apparently that it must be Hayden Christensen. I loved you in Life as a House. <laughs> and he uh, tells her, yeah, she is him, but different. <laughs> wow. That's a clever way. Of, uh, There's, there, there are debates raging right now about bathrooms that'll be yes, sparked by that I, scene. That's what I was exactly thinking. Uh, and there's a quick scene where we see hundreds of other force ghosts who were implied to be past chosen ones. Ooh, an avatar like scene. Uh, Ray feels Finn's distress everywhere in the galaxy, and she says she needs to go to him. Luke tells her about the time he felt his friends in distress, and Yoda told him to stay and finish his training, and his disobedience led to pain. But then he says he isn't Yoda and has his own way of doing things and tags along with her to go to help. Now, the other part is Finn wakes up up in the resistance cruiser and is told by Poe that they're already en route to a makeshift for public home world in the wake of the capital planet being blown up by Starkiller base where Leia wants to lobby them to go to war. Hmm. Now the Republic is being led by an interim dictator named Lord Vikram, which they're saying is uh Bel Belsinia de Toro. Now this is one of the ones that uh club Jade said is, it has been debunked, I guess also uh, and quickly put in power of new senators still around to maintain order. Uh, Starkiller's destruction of the Republic core worlds, which I don't think we know that they were core worlds in the first place, uh, used a giant communications disruption because everything was rooted through those worlds. So Vikram is trying to reestablish contact and ensure the Republic doesn't collapse into anarchy. Clearly, the person writing this is not paying attention to what's going on in canon at all. You want to clarify on that? Yeah, so not really anything to confirm any of that at least not within the novelization and such and certainly not within any of the other guidebooks but we haven't really seen stories past the force awakens yet uh, uh but i'm telling you you know uh you gotta be worried about the yuzhan vong in that case because you know communication disruption can mean only one thing <laughs> that is true it either means invasion or it means verizon now and what's funny is is some of this actually kind of sounds like uh that other female lead uh, the lady that played in the first uh, Jurassic Park movies, I think. Oh, Laura Dern. Yeah, because this this one right here sounds like it's it's Leia and her character uh, that was rumored earlier. But it says Leia and Vikram butt heads. Victim agree. Vikram agrees that the Republic has to go to war with the First Order, but wants to wait for communication to come back online so they can muster up a sizable force. They all have all they have right now is a single small fleet. Leia disagrees and wants to take the war to the First Order now, while Snoke is still reeling from Starkiller's destruction. She both she says both sides are in chaos, which makes it the perfect opportunity to strike. Vikram counters by telling her she's letting her personal emotions over Han's death get in the way. Leia throws it back at him by telling him that he was always a little snake of a politician when they could argue back to her senator days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They have an old blood war or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, that could that could very well be part of this of, of the scenario, but again. If a lot of this is being debunked, and I can think back to episode seven, it was about, I mean, what, half fake spoilers and, mm -hmm. and faked rumors versus half that are actually true. And 
you got something here where at least some of these supposed spoilers, I mean, you know that they're, or at least God, I hope they're, they're meaning it in a joking way on some of these that there's sort of the question of, well, how much do you take at face value on any of this? Especially since, I mean, the film is still in process at this point. Um, so I don't know. I, well, I, mean, think I, about I tend to avoid trailers. this kind of stuff anyway. The trailers that we got, we saw Moss Kanata hand off a lightsaber of Luke's to Leia. I didn't see that. I mean, there's quite a bit of stuff that we saw in film footage for the film that wasn't in the film. I mean, yes, I, I love the moments where everybody, <laughs> there were people in the theater when I went to see it the first time, as we're walking out, my wife and I are walking out of the theater. It's the midnight showing, and it was a—it wasn't like a kid, like a middle schooler, I guess. So not like a little kid um, who said, "Where was the lightsaber thing?" And I finally realized that he was talking about the thing in the trailer where there's the the, the tri-blade lightsaber gets activated, and you can see it from from behind Kylo Ren, and you don't see that the the lightsaber gets activated now off screen, off camera in that scene. And he um, had his hood up in that. Mm-hmm. Too. That was always one I was trying to piece together as well. I'm like, what? Uh, the other one is the Republic planet is safe because it's protected by a heavy-duty shield that can repel any invasion or bombardment from the First Order. Uh, fo- Mass oh. produce those things! Foe, is that the bromance name for Poe and Finn? Did I just come up with that? <laughs> on- oh, no. No. <laughs> it's much better than Pin, though, right? They're both bad. They're so both Finn- horrible. Finn and Poe are tasked by Leia to investigate the city because one of Leia's contacts informed her that the First Order have spies embedded in the Republic and Leia suspects that it's Vikram. Uh, Finn quickly becomes enamored by Leia's contact, Chala, who they're saying is uh, Kelly Marie Tron, Tran, uh, who tags along with him and Poe through the underbelly of the city to gather information. Finn and Chala have a flirty romance subplot that involves nighttime adventure through the rustic old city. This and Poe is, is sitting at home pissed oh i bet and this is what they say the second entry in the trilogy after all and the poetry demands it clearly someone is reaching but i'm okay with that because i still want ray's mom to be Jaina jade skywalker <coughs> make it happen yeah make- yeah nobody's reaching there nobody's reaching there i know it. i'm i see at least i'm i'm willing to admit that i'm reaching out on a limb that doesn't exist uh finn poe and chala all cornered the culprit vikram's aide who was evidence of contact between vikram and the first order Leia and some resistance fighters confront vikram and throw him in jail for treason he denies everything and the rest of the republic officials are horrified because Leia basically just coup de tot the beep out of their leadership <laughs> Leia assumes control of the planet's defenses and absentmindedly puts Finn in charge of the shield codes. Absent-minded? Okay, Leia absent-minded doesn't doesn't make sense. I, if yeah. that were to be the actual play out of the politics of the film, that would actually really kind of make me fist pump, if only because once you read Bloodline, listen to that scenario again and imagine how nice that would be, how sweet that would be. But I still think it's bull. See, and, and I'm I'm wanting Leia to have a bigger, stronger role. Uh, you know, I, I feel mm-hmm. like she's been robbed on so many levels. <laughs> haven't, they said, haven't they said, though, that in a sense, you know, having Han and Leia back, Han and Leia and Luke were all sort of like the anchors back to the original trilogy, but that we're going in very new directions for episodes eight and nine and not to expect much of, well, obviously nothing of Han, but uh, not to expect much of Leia herself i mean luke would have to play a central role but that i don't think carrie fisher was expected to be back all that much for episode eight so having her be such a central part of this 
again, that, that to me, that lends to the something smells factor. And I'm not talking about Wookiee hair. True. But at the same time, I think you could make an argument that when you take the opening crawl into consideration with The Force Awakens, Leia plays a bigger central role because of the fact that it was her that put everything in motion. So Yeah, well, I, I mean like a, a more central role on screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like she's not going to be the one running around dodging blaster fire and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shooting all the stormtroopers for everybody. <laughs> Uh, Finn and Chala have a moment, and Finn mentions his confusion about why Vikram didn't just lower the shields for the First Order. They walk into a room, and Phasma is standing there, and Chala draws a gun on Finn and forcibly takes the codes for disarming the shield from him. She says she planted some evidence, used Finn to get the codes, and basically that she thinks he's a dirty traitor to the First Order. Irony. Irony. In a moment of pure poetry, Phasma makes Finn lower the shields. Now... On one hand, I'll be excited for that because I'm kind of like, did Phasma ever make it off Starkiller base? Because all we really kind of, I mean, granted, I guess there was that one guy going, Huck's already left. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. So, Phasma, like. Somebody, somebody checked the garbage chute because that's the last place we saw Phasma. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm kind of like, you know, like, I don't know. Like, no, I think, I think she for the, the things. <laughs> I think she had to have gotten out of there. I think she has the immunity of the recognizable actor. Mm, essentially by the very nature of of who she is and the hype around the character they couldn't have just let her die with the base phasma's gotta come back at some point true and surely with all the hype they were making the force awakens portrayal of phasma wasn't the height of her character because she did almost nothing yeah surely they were hyping her up for a bigger role going along and they made such a huge deal out of this female stormtrooper character surely they're not gonna just let it go and not bring her back for something in eight or nine or i don't i I do not see them dropping her so surely she'll she might be alive now mastermind behind something showing up out of nowhere maybe but it on for some certain characters absolutely (laughs) uh now our last one here is the first order fleet jumps out of hyperspace and invades the planet quickly capturing finn poe and leia Kylo starts to torture Finn using the force, knowing it'll draw Ray out of hiding and into his trap. Hmm. Almost kind of has a uh, Taskmaster kind of feel or the Warmaster uh, Tzvong Law kind of feel to it with Leia getting her legs cut in half. We'll get you, Jason Solo. I don't know. I feel uh, like I feel like the dude at the end of Spaceballs, uh, the guy that had the, the alien pop out of him, very much like the alien popped out of him in the movie Alien. And I think to the idea of Kylo Ren torturing Poe, and I just think of Poe sitting in the chair going, oh no, not again. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, not again. Yeah, I, I, I again, I'm going to take them with a big grain of salt. I'm going to pretend that I don't know any of them. And when I watch the movie, if any of them are there, I'll go, ha, foiled again, I guess. And by grain, he means a salt lick. That's yeah, exactly. So that about wraps up the show today. We are going to uh, go ahead and start rolling out. And we'd like to thank everybody for coming along, hanging out with us today. Nathan, once again, you want to give some contact information real quick for the listeners out there? Sure. Uh, of course, you can hear me on Star Wars Reports podcasts, Star Wars Beyond the Films, and Cloud City Casino now. Uh, the YouTube channel is youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio. That's chrono like chronology, then radio all is one word. Uh, those are the 
primary places to find me at this point. Lots of video content going up there. Uh, and of course, you can find the Facebook pages for the various shows on, you know, Facebook. That's right. You can find me at StarWarsReport.com. I'm one of the founders and administrators of the website. You know me on Twitter at IllogicalRogue2 and on Facebook as Mark Herleman. I think you can also find me as IllogicalRogue2 there. Uh, you know I'm on Star Wars Report. You know I'm on Stars Beyond the Films. And I've got other projects in the works that you may hear about soon. And with that, from everyone at Star Wars Report, we thank you for coming along. And again, to all our Patreons that have supported us thus far, we appreciate it. And don't forget, Benny Bothans died to bring you this podcast. <laughs>